This is Graphic Novel TK, your podcast guide to comic book publishing. Uh, hi, welcome to the third episode of Graphic Novel TK, where we talk about the process of building a graphic novel. Uh, I'm Allison Wilgus, and with me is my cohort, Gina Gagliano. I was going to say you have to say your own name. <laughs> Uh, Today we'll be talking about the very earliest part of the publishing process, pitching your book. We have a fantastic editor here to talk about about pitches, Calista (laughs) Brill. She also will talk about herself, Calista. Uh, So Calista, tell us about yourself. Hi, I'm Calista. (laughs) Um, I'm about five foot six. No, okay. Uh, I am the executive editor at First Second Books. I've worked here since 2008, which I think means nine years. Um, I acquire and edit about half of the books on our list with the partnership and help of the rest of the editorial staff here at First Second. Um, What percentage of your job is getting and reading and reviewing pitches from authors? So I've actually never crunched that. Like and intuitively, how much of your Is it 2% day? or is yeah. it 75%? Um, I'm going to say it's like 30%. It's a good chunk. And how did you get into working in publishing? Okay. So when I graduated college, I had a degree in English and no clear idea of what I wanted to do for a living. Um, And there was a recession on and people were having a lot of trouble finding work. And so I decided I would just apply for every job that I thought I could do without wanting to kill myself. And I would take whatever was offered to me first. So I did that and it was not publishing. It was a different thing and I didn't like it. (laughs) So I started looking for something else and a friend of mine mentioned that there was a job open at Disney in their publishing arm and that she thought I might enjoy that. Um, And so kind of on a whim, I applied and it worked out. Um, Sort of against all odds, I would say. Uh, And once I was doing that job, I realized I really loved it, that um, I really enjoyed working in books and wanted to do that for a career. Okay, so we're gonna dive into talking about pitches right now, but Calista, can you start us off by giving us like your definition? What is a pitch? If someone was like, I understand that a book exists, but I don't know anything about this process, what would you, what would you tell them that a pitch is? So a pitch is a document or sort of otherwise formalized piece of information that um, outlines a sort of attractive and persuasive vision of a book that may or may not exist yet. Um, Typically a pitch is a digital document that gets emailed to an editor in the hopes that the editor will like the look of it and want to publish the book. Um, Generally, if the book exists already, the pitch isn't as necessary. So usually a pitch is something for a book that doesn't exist yet for a kind of a vision for a book. A good pitch should be very clear right away about what the book is and who the intended audience is and why it's awesome um, and should sort of be tailored to the person who's reading it. So I wouldn't say like specifically for that editor in particular, but for a type of editor, say. So in terms of like the, the publishing process, the pitch is like the handshake introduction. It's the thing where it says, hello, this is what I am. Would you like to have me in your book catalog? Yes, exactly so. Um, a lot of times authors will come to me and they'll say, I've got a bunch of ideas for books that I think you might really enjoy. 
that I think you might want to publish. Here's, you know, two lines about each. And then um, I kind of explain that I, I need to see a pitch, right? It's very hard to have an opinion about something that's too short. Um, and a pitch is something that kind of boils down something that's too long and flushes out something that's too short, if that helps. That's very vague. I apologize. No, so, so I mean, backing up uh, for a second, you mentioned a second ago about how uh, you have to be thinking about who your audience is. Like, for instance, like, you as an editor for a second, like, what kind of pitches would you like to be looking at, regardless of what actually shows up in your inbox? Um, so I like to look at pitches for books that make any kind of sense for our imprint, which means that uh, about 90% of the pitches I look at are not pitches I want to be looking at um, because they're books that we could never publish for one reason or another or would never publish. Um, so I really appreciate it when somebody's obviously done their homework and has looked at for a second and said, okay, this is an author-driven, creator-owned house. They don't do a lot of heavy genre stuff. They're not publishing superheroes. They're not really publishing a ton of crime or science fiction. Their books tend to be um, kind of personal and, you know, even the sort of commercial ones on their list are sort of still have their kind of quirky or literary or idiosyncratic elements. So, you know, it's it's very difficult when you're an author, obviously, to sort of judge your own work, particularly objectively. But it's nice when people can kind of think through that part of it and just think, okay, is this a book that for a second would even publish? And that's that's a huge question <laughs> that I really appreciate when people do that for me, because then I don't have to tell them no all the time. Or at least not feel like you're telling them no when in a kind of like like a formality, like there's no universe in which that was going to happen. And now, yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's nice to avoid that step if I can manage so it. I'm going to jump ahead a little bit because I just want to really want to make sure we get to this. I would love to hear like as of right now in 2017, what do you think a pitch should look like? Like, I mean, there, obviously it varies a little bit from thing to thing, but like, what do you think is essential and what are some kind of nice to haves and what is stuff that should absolutely not be in a pitch that somebody's handing to you? So my caveat to this is uh, I'm going to answer your question on behalf of First Second, yeah. and I can't really say what other houses oh, of course, like yeah. and don't like. Okay, my ideal pitch has like a log line or a very, very, very brief explanation of the sort of gist of the book, and sometimes that can just be a single line or sometimes it's a very short paragraph. That immediately tells me who the audience is, what the general subject is, and what the tone is, right? So I get sort of like very broad strokes. I also like to then have a brief summary of the project that gets into some more detail about the plot, and that can be several paragraphs. And then it's nice to have a very thorough outline that goes sort of um, scene by scene mm -hmm. that gives me a better sense of the kind of pacing and uh, structure of the whole thing. I don't necessarily need to see an entire script. Um, I usually don't, in fact. Um, it's nice if I can to see a sample of the script so that I can get a sense of the tone and of how the dialogue is playing out. Um, and whether, honestly, whether the person who's writing this knows how to write a comic script at all, right? Which is often a big question. If there's an artist attached or if the author is also the artist, I wanna see some character designs and at least call it three pages of finished, lettered, colored, if the book is in color, comics art, because it's really important to see if the thing actually gels, right? You want kind of a proof of concept. You wanna be able to point at a page and say, okay, I know that this person or these people understand how to put together a story using sequential narrative art in a way that 
you know, A, I like, and B, just works at all, right? Do you do you feel like you've been in situations where somebody's, like, giving you pencils or something that look really good, and then as you get further along in the process, you're like, oh, wait, the way you're finishing this is not how yes. I thought that you were going to, and now I'm in a pickle. That has 100% happened to me, so I love <laughs> to avoid that. Because it, it, it's also, it's not, like, the greatest conversation for the artist when you're like, oh, I kind of thought you were going to do something different. So, like, I looked at this other comic that you did, and I thought you were going to do that thing. Right, exactly. Yeah, you want to avoid that kind of misunderstanding if you possibly can. And is there is there stuff that sometimes people include where you're like, "This is not a good use of your time," or "This is not helpful to me," or Yeah, so I would say um, chocolate. <laughs> well, right. So people don't have to send treats, and in fact, uh, if you send treats with a pitch, it can make your editor feel a little weird. Like, if I enjoy these treats you know as they're now a conflict of interest because i've consumed this chocolate or whatever but um you can also, only eat the chocolate if you accept the pitch otherwise you have to give it to your assistant <laughs> exactly <laughs> i would say also i think sometimes there's a temptation to put a lot of time into making a really beautiful cute package because you know it will catch somebody's eye and it does catch an editor's eye and it's fun to get like a cute beautiful thing but then it also just makes you feel extra bad when you're turning it down it doesn't make you less likely to turn it down it just sort of makes it sadder so maybe not that uh and and also to that point like i don't love getting things physically it's really hard for me to sort of track and manage that many physical objects it's a lot easier all of my systems and i think i can actually speak for basically everyone in the industry at this point all of my systems are digital and it's just much, much easier to handle pitches and submissions digitally. It's so interesting because that's definitely changed a lot Like in my personal memory. Like I'm not that old, but I remember when I was getting started, it was the opposite. The, oh yeah. Don't send me this big file. I don't know how this virus, I don't want it. And now it's like, oh my God, what are you doing? Yeah. This is what Dropbox is for, please. No, please. I know, I feel sort of bad because I think the rules did change really fast. But um, until maybe the last like three years, the file size thing was something I was sort of like angrily ranting about to anybody who would listen because it was a problem and now it isn't anymore. Yeah. Um, so you were talking about the packaging of the pitches. Sometimes an important part of the pitch is the pitch letter. Mm -hmm. What do you like to see in a pitch letter and what is a pitch letter? So I, I don't care a ton about the pitch letter kind of in the same way that I don't care a ton about the um, cover letter when I'm hiring a staff person. I feel like the pitch letter and the cover letter both sort of serve the same purpose, which is like demonstrating on the fundamental level that you're not incapable of writing a letter, right? <laughs> <laughs> so um, with a pitch letter, sort of more specifically, I guess, one of the things that I like to see is uh, if somebody can demonstrate that they've done their homework and that they know what kind of books for a second publishes and that they have a sort of good argument for why we should look at this one. Um, so, you know, if somebody says, I'm a fan of your company and I particularly enjoyed, you know, um, Jay Hosler's Last of the Sandwalkers and I have an insect-driven science fiction adventure that I think, you know, would stand really beautifully with that book on your list, then I'm going to say, okay, that's cool. This person likes my number one favorite book that we've ever published <laughs> and um, also, you know, has, has sort of thought through whether their book is a reasonable match for us and can write a letter, which is good to know about an author. 
Because I know that's like a part of the process people stress out about enormously, but like with all the editorial work I've ever done, I'm mostly just like, it's more like a place where if there isn't a giant red flag, I mostly forget about it. Precisely. In five minutes. Yeah, it's it's like, it's kind of a good mechanism for making sure the person like has their head screwed on straight on a sort of fundamental level. But beyond that, I, I tend to kind of gloss through the letter and just click straight through to the um, attachment if there is one. I, I will interject here. Yes. And this also goes counter to traditional publishing advice. I don't like it. And I apologize because I think people are told explicitly to do this, but I really don't like it when people query me about whether they can send me their book or not. Um, Because this is another email you have to send. Exactly. It's like, it just bogs down the process that much more. Like, I don't know. I I don't know. Like, it's very unusual that somebody, and I think maybe this is just a feature of first second being a kind of a, having an unusually broad range of books that we're willing to publish. But because I think probably this is a more useful feature if you're a very sort of specific genre focused publisher and you don't publish a certain kind of book. Somebody emails you and they're like, I want to send you my like lighthearted women's fiction about life in New Orleans in the 1920s. You can be like, I'm sorry, we're like a edgy crime publisher. I don't want this, right? But for me, it's like I, everything sounds plausible to me until I actually look at it. So like it's almost never happened that somebody has emailed me with a description of the book they want to send me a pitch for. And I've said, you know what, save your save your breath. Like, don't bother. I know I don't want it. I'm always, always going to be like, well, I don't know. Maybe I want it. Sounds OK. So that reminds me of another question. To my knowledge, there are three acquiring editors at First Second right now. And I feel like most imprints have more than one. Um, yes, that's absolutely true. Do people, I mean, I think I know the answer to this question, but people listening to this might not. Do people need to know ahead of time which editor is the best one for them to be working with? Or should they just send it to the editor they either have met, like had a relationship with, or like maybe talk to at a convention or something and trust that if you look, if you, for instance, look at this and you're like, you know what, this isn't my thing, but I think Mark might like this, that you're going to take care of that and they don't need to be sitting there stressing out about which editor that's totally correct. I mean, and again, this is one of those places where I, I sort of have to emphasize that I can answer this question for, for a second and basically no other house because we also have a sort of an unusually um, kind of team-driven, loosey-goosey dynamic for a conventional trade book publisher. So, you know, it will often happen that somebody will send a book to Mark that he's like, nah, it's not really for me, but I bet Calista would love this or I'll feel the same way. Um, or Robin, our associate editor, who's acquiring now, she and I often share submissions with each other. The important thing is sort of like getting, see, again, like grain of salt, right? Because for if, if you want to be published by for a second, the important thing is getting somebody's attention at for a second. It probably matters less whose attention it is mm-hmm. um, because we're pretty good about sorting out sort of who has bandwidth for something and who has a particular interest in it on our own. And there's not really a difference between how well your book will fare depending on who your editor ends up being. Like, it's not as though if you want your book to be like treated really nice, you have to publish with Mark because he's the editorial director, right? Like all of our books are sort of evaluated on grounds other than who the originating editor is. So I would say it's it's probably not a thing to be particularly concerned about. Mm-hmm. How do you feel about people sending copies of all of their previous work or some of their previous work if they think that you're not going to be aware of it along with their pitch? 
physical copies, no, 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 no. Because you guys can, we're in my office right now and it's actually not as bad as it used to be, but there's just a lot of books in here and I don't want more. So handing you three books at a convention is a no. Well, they're just going to get thrown out. I actually tell people not to um, because people who give us physical stuff at conventions run the very real risk that the stuff is just going to get trashed or lost, right? Because we're not set up for Mm -hmm. intake. All we're trying to do at conventions is get rid of stuff, i.e. sell books. Um, So the sort of like flow of objects is moving in the wrong direction for that process. But, um, you know, if somebody's pitching me via email, which is what I prefer, and they want to send me links to their other work online, like that's very useful um, because I want to know, you know, have they finished work elsewhere? Is it good? Do I like it? Do I think it makes sense as a sort of comparative title for the thing that they're pitching now? Or is this a big, you know, change for them? If it's a big change, like, you know, how do I want to handle that? Do I want to sort of emphasize the work that they've already done when I'm pitching the thing in-house, et cetera, et cetera, right? It's useful to know what their body of work is. I just don't want to have to physically deal with their body of work. How much does the author play into the pitch that you're getting? You've talked a lot about the story, but clearly there's there's a person involved as well. Did you're gonna have to work with for a minimum of three years. <laughs> so uh, I run full background checks on, no, I don't. Um, <laughs> A lot, a lot. Uh, You know, I mean, it's not the deciding factor. Like I'm not sort of arranging my list around people who I think would be fun to work with, regardless of whether they have a book I think makes sense for me to publish. But um, I need to know that the author is professional and friendly and sane and also uh, is like invested in a career, right? Like that's really good for me to know. If I know that somebody can be relied on when their book comes out to put some serious time and energy into promoting it, that makes a big difference for me. You know, it's sort of disappointing when you sign up a book with somebody and you think it's really good and the time comes for the book to come out and they're sort of not as enthusiastic or not as present or not as available to do interviews and do events and sort of be the public face of the book as you were hoping, because that actually really affects sales. Mm -hmm. Obviously, there's no guarantees when you're just meeting somebody new. You can't be like, I'm magically intuiting that they will behave a certain way two years in the future. But, you know, you want to have sort of the sense of somebody that they have a kind of a commitment and passion about their book publishing career that you can use then to sell books for them. Mm -hmm. And if you have an author who is submitting something or planning to submit something and sees you at a convention or at an an industry event or is following you on social media. You you said you don't wanna get a pitch document for them and get that by email, but is there like a good thing for them to say to you? Oh, to like remind me that we've met and that we Or or when they're meeting you for the first time. Oh, oh. And and Um, they have a pitch coming in two weeks or four weeks or... Or they're even thinking about pitching you later. I mean, this sort of falls in the same category as cover letters and um, pitch letters, right? Which Mm -hmm. is like, uh, my requirements for those interactions are extremely basic. And it's basically just like, don't like frighten or anger me. And we should be (laughs) fine. Like, don't come running up with, like, their plastic sword and, like, hold it up in your face and I mean, be like, that, hello! That sounds really great. Though. So, like, maybe that's not the best example because um, that would just charm me. Um, no, I don't know. I mean, I, I guess, you know, it's, again, it's sort of like, uh, it's, it's useful to know that somebody's capable of behaving in a professional way with a stranger. So, like, if you can, if you can sort of pass muster along that extremely basic 
level, then that's useful to know. But beyond that, I, if somebody like says something awkward or forgets to say the right thing or forgets to sort of introduce themselves appropriately, the, the truth is I meet a lot of people at conventions and I remember very few of them because um, it's conventions and that's sort of what happens. That That's another universe. We were talking earlier about universals of the experience of being in the world and I don't think... It gets, although it gets worse, the older I get, the more I'm like, I've probably met you at some point in the last 36 years. I don't freaking know. Oh, yeah. Anyway. No, I've taken to, like, I was emailing somebody this morning because I'm hoping that he'll illustrate a book that I'm signing up a script for. And I was sort of debating how to start the email. And I ended up just saying, I think we've probably met once or twice. Anyway, it's nice to be in touch with you because I was like, I don't fucking know. I probably have met this guy, but I can't remember. But I don't want to assume that I haven't. So how does having an agent change the pitch process? Uh, it does change the process. I, I go to some pains to make sure that it doesn't change the business dealings um, because I think that people tend not to negotiate for themselves as aggressively as an agent negotiates for them. And so when I'm dealing with people who don't have an agent and I'm like actually getting to the business of making an offer, I take that into account. You know, I generally start out with a number in mind that I want to try to land at and how I get there depends on who I'm talking to, right? So that's something that I, I try to be pretty scrupulous about. For second is sort of unusual in that I think probably about half of our authors have agents and about half don't. And um, it's really important for me that the folks who are dealing with us unagented aren't being penalized for it. But that having been said, there are certain sort of inescapable realities of why it's better for an author to have an agent if they can. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and a lot of it actually ends up being in the pitch process, right? It matters a lot less after that point, but it's sort of an agent is a person who gets you in the door um, in a lot of cases. And one of the reasons that that works the way it works is there are agents who I deal with all the time, who I have relationships with, and who I have a strong incentive to have a good relationship with on an ongoing basis, right? Because I have a lot of people in common with them. And so when one of those people sends me a pitch, I am strongly incentivized to get back to them quickly because I don't want them to be mad at me. And I would love it if a stranger who sends me an unagented pitch also wasn't mad at me because I took a long time to get back to him. But um, it, you know, pragmatically speaking, that affects me less if I've sort of ruined somebody's month by taking a long time to get back to him versus, you know, made certain agents angry by not getting back to them right away. So I have an incentive. And then also sort of less self-servingly, agents, when they are doing their jobs right, act as sort of um, gatekeepers in the in the best way, mm -hmm. which is to say they are an intermediate person who takes a look at a thing and says, I really don't think with all of my sort of acumen and experience, I don't think that this is a good match for house X. And so I'm not going to send it to house X, right? I'm going to send it somewhere else instead. So an agent will be like, I talked to this close to Brel and she is like, I like kittens the best and I do not like crocodiles at all. I will not send this crocodile manuscript to her. Exactly. I hear that Cassandra Pelham at Scholastic just loves crocodiles. Let's send this to her and whatever. Exactly. Although um, I want to I stress, we're making this up. Please don't trash your crocodile pitch that you're about to send to Calista. I know. I'm like, every time I say something <laughs> like this by way of example, I, I come to regret it. So um, I don't know. I feel also maybe I've somehow like impugned Cassandra Pelham's excellent character. So I, forgive me if that's the case. But um, good. <laughs> she's probably really good at publishing crocodile books. It's, it's kind of useful for me 
because I see so many pitches, right? We've established I spend about a third of my time just reading submissions. Um, it's really nice when I have somebody who only ever sends me things that are kind of, you know, worth my time, right? By which I don't mean like good, I just mean appropriate. Because mm-hmm. it could be the best crime novel in the world, but you're not. Right. Uh, yeah. So I'm actually really curious about this because I don't know the answer to this question at all. When you have an agent like you talk to a lot, sure. Um, does there end up being like a sort of condensing? Like you'll have a phone meeting with her, and then you cover like five or six people's worth of business. Like, is that part of the advantage? No, I don't actually that's, know. That's a hundred percent true, and also it never occurred to me before just now. But um, <laughs> that's actually a really good point, and it does make my life much easier. That I think probably like a good. of the people that I work with right now are represented by three people. But but that does, actually, you're right, that does sort of, um, there's a sort of a level of efficiency because when I need to talk to an agent about one of her clients, I'll end up, you know, just sort of running through the Rolodex and checking in on everybody, and that's very useful. Um, So when a person pitches you, how soon can they expect to hear back? (laughs) (laughs) You knew we were going to ask this eventually. Can we do Foley that's just like footsteps leaving the office (laughs) and the door closing behind me? We want to stress because this is the number one conversation that I have with other cartoonists when they're pitching you or somebody else in terms of like, this is what's normal. Please don't crawl out of your own skin with anxiety. It's the worst. And I have the world's guiltiest conscience. Um, just for the record, is this my opportunity to say that on the record? This is on the record. I feel real bad. It varies enormously uh, depending on whether it's somebody I know, depending on whether it's an agent that I know, um, and also just depending on how slammed I am, right? Um, the thing is, I wish that I could say, like, if you don't hear back right away, it's a pretty good sign that I'm not interested. But even that isn't true, which is sort of probably extra infuriating for people because it has happened that I've had, I, this is embarrassing, but I've had submissions sitting in my inbox for, you know, like six or eight months. And I keep kind of looking at them and thinking, there's something to that. And then getting distracted. And then finally, you know, after a kind of an egregiously long time being like, no, you know what, I'm going to do it. And like finally getting back to the person and being like, I like your book. At which point they're like, who are you? (laughs) Um, Waiting and waiting and waiting to hear back from somebody, unfortunately, doesn't always mean that they're not interested. Um, That having been said, when somebody comes to me and they say, I sent this pitch to you eight months ago and I never heard back and I just wanted to let you know I'm sending it out wider and -and so-and-so is interested... Um, this will have one of two effects. One is I apologize like profoundly and sincerely and wish them the best of luck. And the other is I think, oh shit, I'm about to lose this and I actually really love it after all and I'd like try to buy it really quickly, right? If you don't have an agent and you've sent your manuscript or your, your pitch, what is the time when you should check back in? Is it two weeks? Is it a month? Is it six weeks? Like when do you want to hear back from people if they don't have a specific update, like I got another offer? Okay, that's a really good question. And again, I can only speak for myself, although I feel like this is maybe sort of good practice in general. I would say give it a month. Um, A lot of stuff happens in an editor's life. And one of the things that tends to happen is we'll have like periods of intense busyness that have to do with a couple of specific projects that suddenly heat up. So I, I can lose like a couple of weeks just working intensely on a couple of things and not doing anything else. So it's nice to have at least a month to kind of clean up other messes before I get back to submissions. I certainly don't mind being followed up with after a month. 
if somebody sends me a follow-up email after two weeks, it doesn't annoy me. If they send me a follow-up email after a week, I'd say it does. So I feel like I my, that's, fair. that's my threshold. Yeah, I think is like give it at least two weeks, but maybe preferably a month. But then after that, you know, I would say follow up a few times, you know, maybe not every week, but like every month or so. Right. Um, it's not a bad idea. You know, I, I don't think there are many people in the world who would be like, oh, this person has emailed me several times in the last six months and that has angered me. And so I'm not going to publish their book, even though I otherwise would have like you're not going to do yourself any harm, I don't think. And I know this varies from person to person, but for you personally, what is the etiquette of one, are you expecting people to only send pitches to you and not to anybody else? And two, if they've sent pitches to a bunch of people at the same time, do you want them to let you keep you updated if they've gotten offers on stuff? Like, so like, because yeah. I mean, people people get very anxious about this. So I'd love to hear for you personally, at least, what your thing, feelings are on this. Well, so I'm sure it's nerve wracking, you know. Um, and, and again, it's probably particularly nerve wracking if you don't have an agent and you're trying to negotiate all of this and sort of not ruffle any feathers, but you also have to defend your own interests. Like, I can't, I, this is a good argument for trying to get an agent, right, is so that you just can save yourself some heartache. Um, so I will say that the only cases under which I have any expectation that I'm receiving something exclusively are um, when the person has told me so, um, or if it's somebody who I have worked with previously and where we've had conversations about wanting to you know, publish that person long-term, there's a sort of a general expectation that they're not gonna suddenly start shopping their book around to other publishers without a really good reason, right? Um, there are people that I've published long-term who will have like side projects that just don't make sense for first second. And I appreciate when they, you know, let me know and they say, I'm sending this elsewhere because I was pretty sure that it didn't make sense for you guys. And then that gives me a chance to say, yes, of course you're correct, but thanks for checking with me. Um, but if it's a sort of, if it's a new relationship, if it's somebody who hasn't um, queried me before, uh, I have I have no sort of expectation that I should be the special snowflake who is only receiving the thing. I like it when people send it to me all by myself. It's nice, but it doesn't like make me more likely to publish the book. Neither does it make me less likely. It's just sort of another piece of information, I guess. So what kind of updates are appropriate for people to send to you, do you feel? Um, the more, the better. Like I really, and, and again, I can sort of only speak for myself, but um, I... Because I am so perpetually behind on everything and because I'm I'm so bad about getting back to people on a timely basis, um, I really appreciate it when people do follow up with me just in general. This is like if anyone ever wants to work with me in any capacity, like I respond, I tell people I respond well to nagging, which is true. Um, I would much rather know that somebody has sent me something um, exclusive, has decided to shop it around more widely because they haven't heard back from me but still would rather publish with me. Like that's really important. That's important information for me to know. It's also important for me to know that they want to shop it around widely and maybe it's fine if they don't publish with me that they're like annoyed or whatever. That's also good to know. So it's basically like the more information, the better. And there's never going to be a case where I sit on something for a while and somebody doesn't hear back from me and they think, fuck it, I'm going to send this to Oni or whatever, right? Like that's... I, I would, it would be ludicrous for me to be annoyed by that. Like, you know, they have their interests, they have their book. Like I, I'm honored that they shared it with me in the first place. And if it's something that I think I actually want to get serious about, then that's a good prompt for me to get serious about it. Um, and if it's also a good prompt for me to think, okay, you know what, let me 
graciously pass on this one, which is maybe more often what happens. But um, so they I get an will, offer from another publisher. You'd like to know before they sign that. You'd like you'd be like, hey, I'm talking seriously with this other publisher. They've made an offer on this book. I want to let you know. You don't want you don't want to get an email like after the contract is done to be beat beachy dubs. Well, <laughs> you I, missed the boat on this one. I don't, but I also kind of feel like I don't have any grounds for serious <laughs> annoyance when that happens. Oh no, I'm more just like, thinking from like the from the author's perspective. Yeah, it would be a good idea to to keep you updated. Yeah, on absolutely. That kind of thing. You know, I mean, it's one of these things where I'm sort of I, I don't know, whatever. I want to be like a. I don't want to be a dick. There are, there are a lot of opportunities that present themselves when you're an editor where you can be an asshole. And um, do you guys have like language standards on this? Should I not be swearing? No, no, no. It's fine. Right. That ship is largely safe. Right. Fuck it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I mean, I'm I'm co-hosting. This. Yeah, right. Exactly. You've met me. Um, so wait, I have sort of lost the train. Um, oh, oh, basically that there's very little that somebody can do that's actually going to like piss me off or that I will interpret as sort of bad bad acting, except if. I feel like they haven't been upfront with me, right? Like mm. if they've if they've gone to some pains to establish that I have something exclusive, I don't want to then find out that they took it elsewhere without telling me first. Um, I also don't love it when people take an offer and use it to extract an offer elsewhere, although people do it mm-hmm. and it's not like, you know, against the law or like profoundly unethical or anything. It's just like mildly annoying. Um, so, you know, that's something to think about. Yeah, I feel like that's happened to me once or twice and I've I've been sort of like annoyed. Mm-hmm. And and that's kind of been the extent of it and probably it got the person a better deal in the end, so it was probably a good gamble for them. I mean, you know, one of the sort of weird things about publishing is that particularly at a house like First Second, which kind of prides itself on sort of honest and congenial and affectionate dealings, you know, between authors and editors. Um, there still is ultimately at the end of the day, this element of conflicting interests, right? Like the editor's interest is getting the book for what they think they can serve the minimum that they have to pay for it. And the author's interest is in selling the book for as much as they can possibly get for it. And there's nuances there, right? There's reasons that I don't want to screw people. Mm-hmm. And there's also reasons that, um, an author might not want an unearnable advance. So they might not want to be too aggressive. We're almost out of time. So there's been a couple lightning round things. One reality check time what percentage of pitches that you get end up books that you're actually publishing okay so this isn't good news um i don't know offhand but my guess would be yeah ball like ballpark just this is this is a reality check to people whose hearts are broken if they're pitched like your second is publishing 37 books this year right how many pitches do we get how many pitches do you get in a week would you say? Oh, let's do the back. Okay, let's do the back of the envelope. So I think that Mark, Robin, and I combined get probably, call it 20 pitches a week. Um, that's actually less than I would have expected. Used to be more. So that's about, yeah, it's a little over a thousand a year. I Because I was going to say like 1%. Yeah. Um, but maybe it's maybe it's higher than that. It's not that big of an industry. It's, it's really it's not. forget how yeah. there aren't actually that many of us. Maybe it is higher than that. It's actually sort of nice. Well, here, so here's the really gloomy news, though. If you want, I'll, I'll make up for Please. it by offering you something even more disheartening. No, that's good. Um, is I, I actually did sit down and do the math one time for how many books I've published that came to me entirely cold. Mm-hmm. That is to say, with no reference, no person saying, hey, my friend so-and-so, or like I taught this person and they were really good or whatever, and no agent. And I think in my history of acquiring it for a second, and I don't know how many books I've acquired here, but it's a lot. I think I can think of one. Mm-hmm. 
So I talk about this a lot when I'm talking to like kids in art school, to, you know, comics professionals who are pitching their work, just the importance of networking, which I know sounds bloodless. What it actually means is making friends with your peers. Mm -hmm. um, because, you know, when I, you guys were asking me, how important is the author mm -hmm. to making my decision? A big part of what reassures me that somebody is going to be okay to work with is that there are people vouching for them. And so if somebody comes to me out of the blue and I know nothing about them, the book has to be in just incredible for me to be willing to make that sort of significant risk. Yeah, and Calista, before we go, can you just take us through your mental process from receiving a pitch to the point where you're like, I think I'm interested in this book, not to the acquisition offer or anything like that, but like who else reads it? Like. Is the pitch process just you? Is that in your head or how does it work? Okay, so I don't generally share it with other people until I'm pretty certain that I at least think it's worth serious consideration. Um, so the kind of initial vetting just happens with me. And um, if there is art, I can make a decision about it infinitely faster because some huge percentage of the projects that get sent me that have art attached, I don't like the art. <laughs> Or, I mean, I'm being callous. What I, 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 the actual sort of more nuanced reality is I have very specific requirements for what I think makes sort of appropriate art for a first, second book. And that's a really, really, really narrow and weird and specific little alley. Um, and so most of the projects that get sent me that have art as part of the pitch, I, I can just like open it and at a glance disqualify it. I love that because that's super easy. Um, and then if the art is really spectacular, there's often cases where even if the story is lagging a little, I'm like, okay, I can work with this person. I can make this story live up to this incredible art, right? So a lot of times the art kind of ends up being like the first helpful. helpful. Yeah, exactly. Uh, what, where I get into trouble is when people just send me scripts because we do accept scripts that don't have artists attached and I've, I've acquired a lot of them and, and I enjoy it because it's fun then to work with the author to find an artist who's just the right fit for it and to sort of help forge that partnership. But then I have to read the script and reading comic scripts is the worst. It's horrible and awful and I hate it and I've been doing it professionally for nine years and it hasn't gotten any easier because you have to exert such an enormous amount of energy picturing what the fucking thing is gonna look like that it takes forever and it's really tiring. So that's a drag. I mean, whatever, I don't mean to be like discouraging. To no, no, I, I'm a comics scripts. writer. I don't like reading comics. It's scripts. awful. I'd like, I don't think anyone likes it. It's it's like the sort of necessary Some of them are really well written Yeah, and then that's a little bit better, but that's yeah. not the same. But you. That's, that's if you're just reading it. If you're having to pay, figure out if it's going to be a good book, that's like a whole other thing. Right, exactly. And in certain respects, when they're when the script is very entertainingly written and it has like a lot of like clever sides and stuff, it's almost like, oh, am I getting tricked into thinking that this is like, and then you're like second guessing yourself. You know, it's like, is it actually as good as I think it is? I don't know. When it's a script all by itself, the kind of initial vetting process takes much longer because I I have to read a big chunk of it before I have a sense of, you know, I mean, assuming that I've read a brief summary and the summary seems like it might be something I would be interested in, then I have to actually read it and that takes forever. But obviously it's worth it because it's resulted in all these really beautiful, powerful books that we're publishing. It's just a part of my job that's really hard. Okay, so you have looked at the art and read the script and then what makes the, the light bulb go on? Like, oh, I, now I think I really want to yeah. publish this? Um, 
It depends a lot. Oh boy, see, this is, you don't want to know how the sausage is made because it's made so inconsistently. It kind of depends on my mood, honestly. Um, you know how sometimes you're in the mood to shop and sometimes you aren't? Like, mm-hmm. for me, I hate buying clothes, but then there's like usually about a, like one month a year where I'm kind of in the mood. So I just buy a bunch of clothes that one month and hope that that'll do me for the rest of the year. So it's a little bit like that because sometimes that part of my brain is all fired up and I'm like, I look at something and I can just know, I can just know this is the book, I want it. And I look at another one, I'm like, nope, that won't work. And then sometimes I just like wallow in a morass of confusion for a few weeks and before I finally like force myself to make a coherent decision. So it's really variable. But once I have a pretty good sense that I think I want to publish a book, I start planning ahead to conversations that I know I'm going to have to have where I convince other people that I should be able to publish that book. And that can kind of help decide things as well. Like if I'm thinking, okay, I have to justify this to our publisher. He's going to say, why should we publish this and not something else? Or we already have a bunch of books with this subject. Why would we do another one? I know that I need to be able to have an answer that will satisfy him. Um, and he asks reasonable questions. You know, he's not asking this stuff frivolously. So, you know, I kind of have these like little invented conversations in my head where I try to make the case before I, I know I'm gonna have to make the case. And a lot of times that helps eliminate things as well. We're almost out of time. Is there anything that you, coming from your own heart and your own experience that you really wanna make sure that you're kind of getting out anything we haven't asked you about or any kind of a note that you want to end on personally? So I have two immediate conflicting interests and they're, or impulses and they're like actually literally exactly the opposite of each other. So maybe oh. I'll say both of them and Please go ahead. just decide which one to listen to. <laughs> so one of them is not to be disheartened if things don't work out right away because there's a lot of cases where people have pitched me multiple projects and I've said no and said no and said no and then the right thing comes along and I say yes. And there's also cases where, you know, people have been sort of struggling in the industry for a long time and they haven't found the right house and they find the right house, right? And so I think in terms of sort of getting published with a house like for a second, sometimes you just have to kind of keep bashing at it, right? And the right thing eventually comes along. Um, so that's one thing. But then the other thing is also sort of have a plan B because I think it's like uh, it, it can be really emotionally... Um, sort of harrowing for people going through the pitch process, especially if it's a book that makes sense for first second, because the books that we publish tend to be very personal, right? They tend to mean a lot to the people who are making them. We're not looking for books that are sort of made by like savvy industry journeymen who really know how to crank out a whatever. Like we're looking for sort of things that are deeply personal and those books are scary to put out into the world. And it's really sad when somebody doesn't want it. And so I think you know, having like multiple creative projects going at any given time and sort of having multiple outlets for them, I think is really good. And and I guess maybe these aren't like conflicting pieces of advice, but kind of try to cushion yourself, right? So that everything isn't riding on whether one or two houses want to pick up this one project that means a ton to you. Yeah. And also like, I mean, I know from personal experience, it might still work out with that one project. It really it might. might not, yeah. You know, like I'm I'm drawing my book right now. Yeah. I think I pitched to you guys like literally six years ago or something. Exactly, right. So it's like just being it for somebody else, but it's one of those things. It's like, you know, it worked. If it's a good project that people want to read, it'll work itself out eventually. Yeah. And if it means that much to you, there's probably a reason that it would mean something to somebody else. You yeah. know, you just have to find them and get it out there. Great. Thanks so much, yeah. Alaska. Krista, thank you so much for talking to us about this. Totally. It's my pleasure. Listen, my, um, my area of expertise is so incredibly narrow that it's actually really fun to get to talk about this stuff because <laughs> it's like all I know about. 
Thanks for listening to Graphic Novel TK. Our next episode will be about agents. So tune back in in two weeks to hear us talk about this vital but often misunderstood industry job. Yeah, so because I mean, as always, we did talk about agents today, but like we sort of skipped over that like a stone in the lake. Yes. Next time, we'll... what do they actually do all day? Yeah, it's no. a mystery. Surprisingly, will come and tell us these secrets. Because according to this episode, they just email pitches to Callista and then talk on the phone with her and that's it, right? Yes. Clearly, no, that is not it. <laughs> More to come. Yes. <laughs> oh, that's oh, that's so that's the thing. Ah, because TK means to come. <laughs> We're very clever. Graphic novel TK is co-produced by Gina Gagliano and Allison Wilgus and is brought to you by the Beat. You can find our show notes along with other comics news and podcasts at comicsbeat.com. Our podcast graphics were created by Shivana Sokdeo. Our theme music is by Poddington Bear. You can follow us on Twitter at GraphicNovelTK or email us at GraphicNovelTK at gmail.com.